So over the next several weeks, we're going to be sharing personal stories, personal stories of individuals in the church and how they relate the stories from God's word. And so this is going to be the summer of the semicolon and the exclamation point. And so we're going to talk about how the story is still being written. It's not done. There's still another thought. There's still more to come. And then there is a time where we realize that there is a a point at the end where we know this is the God's word and this is what he said and this is what we can believe in. And I'm going to tell you my story this morning. And some of you have heard the story. Some of you have lived the story with me, at least parts of it. And then um, my goal is, is to be able to relate it to uh, the disciple Peter. I think I have a lot in common with, with him and, and we'll hopefully kind of put those pieces together. And so I really wrestled with, do I just kind of go off the cuff or do I, do I write this out? Because I, I don't want to ramble too much. So I want to just keep my thoughts clear. I'm not going to share every detail, obviously, of my life. Some of it you don't want to hear and don't need to hear. Um, some of we don't have time to hear. But this is my story. I was born in Cheyenne, Wyoming, August 17, 1969. It was a Sunday. Woodstock was ending and my life outside the womb was just beginning. I was born Brady Lynn Weary. I should have been born in Denver, Colorado, but my biological father was in jail the week before I arrived for being abusive to my mom. He had threatened to kill her, and when he got out, when he got out, so she packed up my older brother, who was two at the time, and went to stay with some friends in Wyoming. That day, my mom had to leave behind her nine-year-old stepdaughter, Anne. It was a day that they would both never forget. But this part of the story has a happy ending later on down the road. My father had gotten out of jail earlier in the week and called the hospital and he asked if he could see his new son, but they asked him if he deserved to. And based on the fact that he never got to see me in person or even picture, uh, see a picture of me, answered that question. Grace would say that my dad should have been able to meet me, but justice won out and I guess he got what he deserved. The only pain worse than me not, not getting to meet him was the pain that he carried with him ever since that day in the summer of 69. I've long since forgiven my father, but have never stopped wanting to meet him. I've never stopped wanting to know who is my dad? Who is my daddy? Tears flow easily every time I tell this story. What would he have taught me? Would he have taught me how to ride a bike or fix a car? What advice would he have given me about girls? <laughs> what, what would it have been like if I would have heard his voice in the stands on a cool Friday night when I was playing football? Would he have been proud of the man that I have become? My mom later moved to Yates Center, Kansas, a small town in southeast Kansas. That's the town I would grow up in. She went there for work. And then one day, all of the Brady Bunch style, kind of awkward and backward, this lovely lady with two lovely boys met this fellow who was busy with two girls of his own. They were all living together, but they were alone because his wife had died of breast cancer. My mom went in to pay her gas bill and she met William Eugene Testorf. And they knew that it was much more than a hunch and this group would rather quickly somehow form a family. My mom moved in with Gene to help take care of his two daughters. Later they were married in the house I grew up in and my brother and I were adopted by our new dad and we went from being weary to a Testorf. It was your typical small town good life at 902 East Mary. Not perfect by any means, but good. I was too young at first to know that Gene was my biological father and it didn't seem to matter too much. 
He was a good man who sacrificed for his family of seven. Yes, seven, because my little brother entered the picture on June 12, 1975. Just some little points about my life. My adopted dad passed away in November of 1994. I spoke at his funeral, and it was the first sermon that I ever preached. My mom, Doreen, um, is married to my stepdad, Dwayne, and still lives in YC. That's Yates Center. My mom and I were united with my half-sister, Anne, and her two uh, children approximately 18 years ago. I discovered that my birth father had died of a massive heart attack in a bar at 54 years old. It was a few years before I met my half-sister. My oldest stepsister, Jeannie, is a kindergarten teacher in YC, and her husband and her have three adopted siblings who are all adults now. My other sister, Marilee, is a nurse, and she's married and has two adult children. My big brother, Martin, is married and has three of his own kids and four stepkids. They live in Roswell, New Mexico, and he's a mechanic for American Airlines. And my little brother, Chris, still lives in Yates Center. My mom's parents were Christians and they passed this legacy on to her and she passed it on to me. I grew up attending a Southern Baptist church. We went to Sunday school and church every week. It was this big old brick building and I still remember the musty smell of the basement where the classrooms were and I can still hear my mom singing hymns and still see my dad collecting the offering on almost every Sunday morning. I spent most of my time in the service coloring in the numbers and the letters in the bulletin. With all those distractions, I still managed to learn the basic stories of the Bible and I've always believed that Jesus is who he says he is. It's surprising that I survived my childhood though. My two stepsisters, Jeannie and Marilee, treated me more like a toy than a person when I was a toddler. I had a big brother, enough said. (laughs) My brother would hold me down and slap me until I would stop talking or he would punch me around my mother because I'd always be hiding behind her. My mom babysat a lot of kids and we got into a lot of trouble together several different times I had my head cracked open with rocks or a swing set and two times I woke up and my pastor was there praying with my mom and that something about that sat in my memory for the rest of my life we lived by 80 acres of land so we explored a lot we played with guns knives we knew nothing about hand sanitizer and we played sports without any protective equipment I went swimming uh, went to the swimming pool almost every day of the summer and never put on sunblock. I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm just saying I never did that. I rode my bike on the highway up and down a huge hill, never wore a helmet, rode on the front handlebars of my brother's bicycle, rode on the back of my brother's motorcycle, (laughs) and started driving when I was 14 years old. My car was a Pinto. had the gas tank in the back. It was a death trap, (laughs) but I lived to tell the story. Spent many hours swimming in a rock quarry and playing in caves. And my friend and I once made a 19-mile-hour trip from Iola, Kansas to Yates Center in 11 minutes. I'm not suggesting that's a good idea either. I'm not endorsing bad behavior, just telling my story. Kids, if, your parents, if you're here and your parents tell you to wear a helmet, just do it. I was your all-American average teenage guy. I was a good athlete, not a great one, but a good student, not a great one. I was a good friend, and for the most part, I was a good son. I was good at a lot of things, but never really great at anything. Probably because I don't think I ever truly poured myself fully into what I was doing. I truly wish I could say that my teenage years were spent growing in my faith by serving the Lord and others. But the truth is, I invested heavily in serving myself. I don't want to be too transparent here because of the young ones in the room. I was on the throne of my own life and I had enough people fooled to get by. I was not a leader, I was a follower. I constantly gave in to peer pressure, but it's not the typical form that you might think of. There was no one forcing me to do anything that I knew was wrong. It was the pressure that was inside of me. I was willing to compromise all that I had learned in church and at home to be accepted by the people around me. 
I wanted to fit in and be just like my peers. I continued to attend church every week. Not going was not an option in my home. I actually enjoyed church, though. I felt love there, and I always had a love and a fascination for the person of Jesus. One of the last memories I have of that old church was when I was 17 years old. I was making deals with God at the time. I was saying, if they sing that song, Just As I Am, at the end of the service, I'll go forward and I'll pray and receive Christ as my Savior. I balked at least two of the Sundays before I finally got the courage to step out of my pew, which was my comfort zone, to walk down the aisle. I knew the basics of the gospel. I knew I needed to confess my sin and I needed to believe in Jesus as my Savior. But it wasn't until later in my life that I allowed Jesus to really be my Lord. I prayed a prayer. The people came up and congratulated me. The youth pastor told me they had been praying for me to make this decision. And now, literally he said, and now we don't have to worry about you anymore. A few weeks later, I was baptized. But as an adult, I realized that not one person in that church ever really reached out to disciple me. I'm sure they just thought Brady's a good kid, so he'll be okay. They don't have to worry about me. But it was the truth that they should have worried about me even more then. I graduated high school in May of 1987 and started making my future plans. I was headed to the Emporia State University to become a coach and a PE teacher. The day before I was supposed to go sign up for classes, I got a phone call that altered my direction and my destiny. There was a travel industry vocational school in North Miami Beach, Florida. They were conducting interviews in Iola, Kansas. Now, we didn't drive there in 11 minutes. We took our time getting over there. But I went to this interview and they, um, they came back later on and they said, you're the kind of person that we want. And it seemed legit and it sounded exciting. I mean, I was barely 18 years old. I was going to go to North Miami Beach, Florida and travel for the first time in my life. My sister Jeannie said she would loan me the $3,500 if I wanted to go. So a few months later, I was off on my first airplane flight in my high tops, my tight rolled acid wash jeans and a pink polo shirt with a collar flipped up. You can imagine those days if you lived those days. It was a month-long course slash vacation in North Miami Beach, Florida. Do you remember the story of how Jesus was baptized and then he went out into the desert and was tempted for Satan or by Satan for 40 days? Well, shortly after I was baptized, I was off to the beach in Florida where I was tempted by all the things the world has to offer, but I did not come out nearly as victorious as Jesus did. It was actually the beginning of six years of me acknowledging Christ with my lips but denying him with my lifestyle. I really loved the world at that time and all the things that it provided, especially my 1988 Thunderbird Turbo Coupe. Oh, yeah. Love that car. First John 2.16 says, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but it's from the world. But that's how I was living. I knew the truth in my head, but I did not allow it to move to my heart, guide my hands, or move my feet in the right direction. I was the Lord, little L, of my life, and it didn't go quite as I had planned. I ended up getting a job because of this travel school. I ended up getting a job with American Airlines at the airport here in Kansas City. My first day of work was April 4th, 1988. It was during the time when, the, when KU won the national championship, and it was here in Kansas City. This was a crazy time at the airport. I moved into Belomondo Apartments right here in Platte City, about a block away from where I'm sitting right now, um, with my coworker and his dad. Not too long after that, I was introduced to my first wife at the airport. She actually came out with my friend to the terminal because he wanted to introduce her to me. 
We started dating, and she eventually ended up pregnant. We told her parents, and we started making plans to get married in the May, May of 1990. On November, on November 13th, 1990, my life changed forever. That was the day Bailey... Bailey Nicole was born. And it was love at first sight. I always knew that I wanted to be a dad, probably because my birth father wasn't one to me. And I wanted to do it the right way. But I was still on the throne of my life, doing what I wanted to do. And that didn't end well. Our marriage was young and immature, like the two of us. And there's no way it could survive my infidelity. You know the song, Cats in the Cradle? (laughs) The boy grew up to be just like his dad. Even though my dad was not in my life, I was headed down the path to be just like him. Sorry. My ex-wife walked out with my little girl in the middle of the night. And that was the moment my life started to change for the good. It was my semicolon moment. It was as low as I could go, but my story wasn't over. I got up the next morning. I drove home to Yates Center to see my parents. They were disappointed in me for sure. And it just so happens that there was a revival going on at the little church there that week. And guess where the guest preacher was staying with my parents? I don't really, don't really remember much about the actual message, but I do remember feeling the conviction of my sin and the overwhelming love and grace of God for the first time in my life. When I returned to Platte City a few days later, I started searching out Baptist churches because that's where I grew up. So I had this thought one day, hey, I grew up in church. Why haven't I been going to church? Maybe you've had that thought before. I drove by the one on 2nd and Farrell and read the sign, found out what time it started, and I made up my mind I was going to give it a try. I stepped way out of my comfort zone and walked in the door one day in 1993. I was greeted by some friendly people and sat on the back pew behind a sweet little lady named Elma Batterson. She was very kind and invited me to stay for lunch after the service. I could smell the fried chicken downstairs, but I couldn't because I had to get to work that day. For the first few months, I was the single dad in the American Airlines uniform that would leave in tears in his eyes every single Sunday. God was breaking me down in order to build me back up. My story wasn't over. It was still being written. And little did I know what the chapters that were going to come next. I jumped into everything the church had to offer. Whenever my crazy airline schedule would allow it, I was there. I would bring Bailey with me on the weekends that I had her. And of course, the people just loved all over her. P.S., just to make sure you know, I stayed very committed to my responsibilities as a father to Bailey and participated in every area of her life as she grew up. And I don't regret that for one minute. Romans 12, 1 and 2 became the theme of my story. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, which is where I had been for so long, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will is for your life. I started to truly grasp what Jesus had done for me on the cross, and his mercy made a difference to me. 
I wanted to know what God's will was for my life, especially when it came to being married again. I started to pray for my next wife. I was very specific in my prayers about the type of person I wanted in our lives. I wanted to meet her in Sunday school, and I wanted her to be someone who loves Jesus more than she loves me. And I found someone exactly like that. One weekend, I took Bailey to Yates Center to visit my parents. We went to Sunday school and church. Who do you think I met in Sunday school that day? (laughs) Trish was visiting with her parents that same weekend. She was in class with an older man, and I thought to myself, she is way too pretty to be with that guy. I found out later that was her her brother. (laughs) He was eight years older than her. Find out that her mom and dad and my mom and dad were good friends. Hmm. (laughs) How did that work out so conveniently? We both can't remember the exact timeline, but we ended up in church again a few months later. And one thing I do know, and I can say this because she's not in here to protect herself, but she was checking me out the whole time during church. She wasn't even paying attention. She doesn't remember a thing the pastor said. She just knows that I was cute with my little girl. (laughs) Yes, amen. That Sunday, my mom introduced us, and I found out that she was living here at Overland Park, and she had been looking for a church. Um, The one in Platte City was pretty far away, but I told her about it, and she said she'd come and visit. And so I got her phone number, and I visited with her one Wednesday night and invited her, and she came to my apartment the next Sunday to meet Bailey. Uh, I had tied Bailey's uh, dress bow in the front instead of the back. <laughs> Little did it. I did get her hair done that day, so that was, a, that was a chore. But Trish fixed it, and off we went. During the church service, Bailey crawled up on Trish's lap and laid her head on her shoulder. That was the summer of 1993, and we were married on February 4th, 1994. And here we are today, <laughs> the end, right? Well, obviously a lot has happened since then. Talk about your semicolon moments. I got involved with Young Life here in Platte City and started getting to know students right here in Platte County High School. I started hanging out at sporting events and, and getting to know them. In 1995, I went to Young Life Camp in Minnesota. In 96, I went to Young Life Camp in Colorado. And later that summer, summer Emma Rainey Testorf came into our world and has been lighting it up <laughs> ever since. I attended a vineyard conference out in Anaheim, California with Chris Patterson and Joy George. Some of you might know them. While I was there, a lady prayed for me one day and told me that she saw me in ministry working with students. She said, I see a picture of young men lining up behind you to follow you as you follow Jesus. She also had this vision of Trisha and I dancing with Jesus with great joy. Not too long after that, the pastor of the Baptist church said, I could see you being the youth pastor of this church one of these days. In 1997, I started volunteering at the First Baptist Church, and we went to the camp of the uh, Lake of the Ozarks there at a camp with seven girls and one boy. That girl, one of those girls is David's wife, and she attends here. And then one of the workers that was with the girls was Naoma, and uh, she's here today. I <laughs> see her back there. Uh, it, was a, it was an incredible time. It was somewhere during that time that the Lord told me that I have something better for you to do. And in 1998, I left American Airlines after almost 10 years and never looked back. 98 was especially a good year because it gave us Eliza May. And she was born as Trisha's little mini-me with blonde hair and a personality to go with that. Personality plus. There was no way I would have enough time to tell you how many incredible adventures my wife and I um, and even a few of us in this room have had together over the next 14 plus years. I literally traveled more with the church than I ever did 
with the airline. One of the greatest adventures was when we went to Peru in 2005 where we first met Paul and Eusenia. We started the adoption process shortly after that and returned to bring them home in 2006. It was a good ride at First Baptist Church and I learned so much about being a follower of Jesus, a husband, a father, a pastor, counselor, mentor, and friend. But at some point, I started feeling the need to move on. And several people had told me, Brady, if you ever start your own church, we're going to come. It was a great idea, but how, when, who, where? (laughs) I would just always table the conversation for another day. I received a phone call one day from Stephanie Hensley. She was on a pulpit committee of a little church up in Dearborn, Missouri. They had been praying and fasting about who their next pastor should be. She felt like the Lord had given them my name as a candidate. It was an exciting thought to take the next step in my ministry career. I preached two weeks in a row and even did a funeral for a family in the community. We felt pretty good about the couple of weeks of ministry, but when the time finally came for them to, to vote, we lost by two votes. We knew it would be a financial hardship for us to make the move anyway, and our kids were going to have to switch schools. But we always said if God wanted us to be there, we were all in. But he didn't open the door. It was another semicolon moment. So we waited and we prayed and we waited. It was a time, it was, we knew it was time to leave First Baptist Church. It was my home. It was where I was comfortable. But I knew it was time. And then I got a call from Vineyard Church about their senior high young adult position. I took the First Baptist Church kids to Windermere one last time in 2012 and then stayed for the Vineyard Youth Camp to come. And that was my official ending and beginning. It was the next semicolon moment in my life. Vineyard was open, was an open doorway for me to get out, but I knew right away it wasn't really a good fit for me. I knew the Lord had opened the door for a purpose because I met some key characters in my story while I was there and they helped me get to where we are today. Plus I experienced some personal healing and growth that prepared me to lead this church. But don't get me wrong, I'm still a work in progress. That brings me to March 23rd, 2014. I was sitting with Trish in a worship service at Vineyard when I heard Pastor Fred say, have you ever felt like your calling is here, but your current reality is here? And I told Trish this exactly how I felt. And two days later, I met with my, met with my boss and with Fred, and we decided it was time for me to move on. This was not an easy semicolon moment for me because it felt like I had failed for the first time in my adult work life. They were kind, and they gave me until the end of May to transition out. They asked me what I was going to do, and I said, I really don't know for sure, but I think I'm supposed to plant a church. And 84 days later, that's exactly what the, did, what the Lord did through me and through a few faithful and a few faith-filled followers of Jesus. And that's why we're here today. That's my story. Peter was a little bit like me, I think, or I was a little bit like him. He's a little ready, fire, aim. (laughs) He was an unschooled, ordinary man, but he had been with Jesus, and that made the difference. He was bold, but he was fearful. He was the only one willing to get out of the boat that day, (laughs) and he was the only other person on earth other than Jesus to ever say he walked on water. He was humble, but he was prideful. Stuck his foot in his mouth many, many times. 
like I have done. Peter planted a church. Did you know that? He planted the first church (laughs) to exist. If you have your Bible, look in Luke chapter 5. We'll spend a few minutes together with this and we'll be done. Luke chapter 5, starting at the very first verse. As the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, Jesus was standing by the lake, Genesaret. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, who is Peter, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all night and caught nothing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, because I am a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you will be catching people. Then they brought the boats to the land and and left everything and followed him. I don't know how many times I have thought the same thing. Jesus, why would you want anything to do with me? I'm a sinful man. I have failed so many times. I'm an adulterer. Why would you, why would you choose me? Don't know the answer to that question. I just know that he did. He said, I have something better for you to do, Brady. Just like Peter, I have something better for you to do than just fish for fish. I want you to help me catch people. Look at Luke chapter 9. Verse 18. While he was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? They answered, John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Still others that one of the ancient prophets has come back. Jesus says, but you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you're God's Messiah. You're the chosen one. You're the anointed one. You are who we've been waiting for. See, at some point in my journey, I always knew the truth of this in my head. But I really never believed it in my heart. And once I did, that changed everything. It changed everything about who I am and and my purpose in life. 
And the world, yeah, it's still tempting. There's still things about the world that draw you away. But I realize that there's nothing the world can offer compared to what Jesus can offer me. And young people, figure that out now. Don't wait till you get my age to figure that out. Don't waste. Don't waste as much time as I wasted. And then there is Peter's great blunder at the end of Luke when he put his foot in his mouth and he said, Jesus, I will never deny you. I will always, I'll, I'll die with you. I'll die for you. We I mean, know how that story goes. And there was that six-year period of time in my life where I, I just denied him because I wanted to please me. And the wreckage that came from those six years has only been covered by the grace of God. I love at the end of John 21, and we'll just finish with this, where Jesus restores Peter. Like this is my, I love this story where Jesus goes and he, he's making some fish and some bread on the shore and he yells out to him and he tells him, hey, have you caught any fish? Because <laughs> Peter is back fishing again. And he tells him to throw the net on the other side. And at least for Peter's sake, he was obedient when he was called to be obedient. <laughs> and he did what Jesus told him. And it says that he, they caught 153 fish. I'm not exactly sure why they put this number in scripture. But you know what I thought about? We have, we have lived through 153 days of 2018. And this is the 154th day. <laughs> I don't know, I just thought that was weird. And then Jesus, Peter sees and realizes Jesus, and, and I would like to think I would be this guy, like I say, I, mean, I don't even care. I don't even care if it's 100 yards away. I'm swimming, I'm gonna get there first because I wanna see Jesus. And he swims to Jesus I think it was just because Peter didn't want to help his friends haul in the 153 fish. And he goes and he, Jesus sits down with them. And then he asked Peter three questions. Do you love me? No, no, Brady, do you really love me? And he says, if you do, feed my sheep. Shepherd the flock. Feed my sheep. Don't just make sure people get fed physically, but make sure they're being fed spiritually. I think that's why I resonate with Peter so much. Because he's put that same calling on my life to feed his sheep. I'm going to give you an exclamation point. Worship team, you guys go ahead and come on up. We'll sing the last song. I'm sorry. I'm Going a little bit long here today. Peter goes on to be one of the, the, the most bold, most pro prolific preachers in the New Testament. He, he preaches such a powerful message that he ends up being crucified upside down because of it. I'm not saying I want to die like Peter, but I am saying I want to preach like him. Here's an exclamation point moment. This is Peter's words 
that he wrote in the book called First Peter. This is in chapter 1, verse 3 through 9. And just listen to these. We don't have to turn there, but listen to this. Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Listen, your story is not being done. It has not been done being written. It is still being written today. Did you know that? You've got an inheritance waiting for you, but he's still writing your story right now. It says, you are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials so that you, or so that the proven character of your faith, which is more valuable than gold, though perishable, gold is perishable, it's it's refined by fire, that your faith that is so valuable may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you may not have seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That is the the goal and that is the reward for having faith in this Jesus who puts semicolon after semicolon in your life to keep writing your story, to keep giving you a chance because someday you're going to inherit this incredible gift called life that lasts forever. And until then, keep following him. And until then, I'm going to keep feeding my sheep, keep shepherding the flock until he calls me home or until Jesus comes back. Amen.